0: Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 362, a part two of my conversation with the longtime director of percussion studies at the University of North Texas, composer, performer, and educator, Mark Ford. We'll get back to Mark shortly, but first up, Marching Mizzou and Band Day. We hosted our annual Band Day this past Saturday, and it went quite well. We had 12 high school bands joining us, along with a bunch of feature twirlers, most of whom lived locally, and some other folks who came along. We did a Disney show, which came off pretty well, and it was a lovely evening to be outside. Middle Tennessee State's band even came, and it was great chatting with their band directors and seeing their students very enthusiastic during the game. Speaking of which... Our football team at Mizzou is a work in progress, we'll say. The game was in doubt much of the time, and hopefully we're just starting to put it all together. And we'll see if that's the case for real this Saturday when we host number 15 Kansas State, our former Big 12 rival in a sold-out game. Stay tuned. And with that, we get back to our conversation with Mark Ford. Last week in Part 1, which I hope you've already heard, Mark Ford talked about the University of North Texas job, his composing career, what it was like being president of the Percussive Arts Society and growing up in Virginia. This week in part two, we'll get to Mark's undergrad years at East Carolina, studying with Harold Jones, his master's years at UNT, studying with Bob Shatroma, his early years teaching at Murray State and the aforementioned Middle Tennessee State, and going back to teach at ECU after Harold retired. Plus, we get the usual close to our conversation, which includes, I should note, some commentary about the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. These items were recorded well before this past Monday when Aaron Rodgers' season debut with my beloved New York Jets ended after four snaps and a torn Achilles, a game the Jets won in unbelievable fashion, thus proving the adage, It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Charles Dickens had it right. All right, let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on August 7th, 2023, and it begins right now. When you first get to East Carolina, is there a... Wow, this is not like Richmond... (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay. you've been in greenville haven't you been a yeah. couple of times not very yeah, much okay. <laughs> i love greenville no, no don't get me wrong yeah, yeah. but it's kind of like the capital of east eastern north carolina yeah. you know? i mean that's probably the biggest city besides wilmington maybe yeah. uh out there and um and it's just surrounded at the time when i went there as a student i think tobacco was king still they were growing yeah. tobacco like crazy <clears throat> now that's changed of course but the uh, it was an agricultural uh, community and uh, the arts were all driven by East Carolina. I mean, you know, so I was in a really good place for myself, Pete. My parents had divorced uh, a year before. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I needed some kind of stability where I didn't have a lot of crazy distractions because I wasn't really, I knew music was what I wanted to do, but I didn't really know much more than that. And Harold was the perfect kind of like, hey, son, get it together here. You know, (laughs) let's go, you know. And I had people like Rich Holly as a TA, Jack Stamp as a TA. It's really amazing TAs that were there when I was an undergraduate. And uh, they're still dear friends, of course. And through their playing, through their teaching, and just through the things they would say to me, They helped me so much, you know, in terms of, and that's true of any school, you know, your school, my school, the older guys are always going to mentor the younger, younger people. And, um, and that's why you want to go. I wanted to go to East Carolina because I knew their reputation was really strong in in my region, in my world, you know, and it was the, the school I needed to go to. But no, it was nothing like Richmond. I mean, Richmond's a fairly large city
0: and and Greenville's like,
1: whoa. Okay. So (laughs)
0: So <laughs> what you're like, what are we near? Not much. It's, it's a no. Well,
1: I, you know, I, I visited there last year, Harold, Harold had his 85th birthday and I went over there and, and the campus is so beautiful and they have done so much in the city has grown a lot, obviously it's been a long time, but the, um the, the character that I felt so endearing is still there. I, you know, that made me feel good, you know, for those students that are there studying at that school. And um, I'm connected to them, just like you're connected to your schools. And, you know, that we're all we're all part of fam different families. So, um, yeah, but no, Greenville, I'm, some people need a big city. I think for me at that time, I needed the, the, the small city where I can really focus on
0: my playing, you know. Yeah. What tended to be the literature focus, both as a solo and ensemble player at ECU?
1: Oh, my I mean, the literature has changed so much right. in, in, since that time. Harold was really great about keeping everybody balanced. He had to be playing like a major timpani piece, whether it be a concerto or a, a work. At that time, we were playing works by John Bergamo on timpani, like his sonata uh, or John Beck's, maybe John Beck's timpani works, or the. Um, uh, there were some concertos that we would play. Then he would make sure that we were playing marimba, of course. We had to have some skills to be able to, to advance. And uh, for me, I was playing works like the Tanaka and Mexican dances and the Gordon style, you know, and now they sound, I mean, sounds old because they are old now, but they're classics. And these are great pieces. So he was really teaching core literature, the Creston and those kinds of concertos, Kirka. Um, <clears throat> We didn't get a lot of drum set there, but I just had to do that on my own you know i just had to set up the kit and keep playing you know snare drum of course and the same thing when when i was at north texas you know we did we were doing the same things harold had taught me but just at a more accelerated rate you know and we had to be able to um, had to be able to read and we had to be able to get up and go when we need, needed to be there uh, one of the things i tell my students now is that um, the one of the biggest things that you can do to be successful in school is to show up. You have to be there, ready to go, prepared, and ready to play. Even if you're not as ready to be to play as you would like to be, just being there, having your gear together, on time, ready to go, is really a big deal. And that's uh, that it follows into the professional world, and uh, you can't not show up, right? I mean, this doesn't happen. Somebody doesn't call you for a gig, and you say you'll be there, but then you don't show up. They'll right. never call you again yeah in school you have the ability to have a someone like a Harold Jones or any teacher that would you know shake your bones a little bit to say why didn't you show up and he's not going to throw you out of school but in the real world they're not going to ever call you back you know so these are these are some life lessons that we tended to do both with Harold and at North Texas as well and also just really play some great music and uh the beauty is the music keeps changing, but the ideas and the concepts musically and technically have um, remained steadfast.
0: Did you do, was that a performance or ed degree?
1: I did an ed degree at, at East Carolina, but I did a performance degree at North
0: Texas. So did you, was there a thought you might go into band directing or, was, or not really?
1: <laughs> not in my heart, you know. Okay. I, I wanted the education degree because I was advised by not just professors and and students, but just like, hey, this performance degree, what are you gonna do with that? At least if you have a music ed degree, you've got some some versatility. You have some um, variety of paths to follow if you want. I never did that. I never taught at the high school level. I could have, I mean, I felt comfortable doing that, But I really never did it as a regular, um, regular job. I did for one period of time, um, I took over a band in um, Plymouth, North Carolina, if you know where that is, kind of out on the way out to Nags Head. Their band director had, uh, they had lost their band director and the band needed somebody like for the last six weeks of school. And I did that walking into, I told them no, like four times. And finally they called me back and said, will you please come? And so I did it. I can just tell you, it's just like, I'm so glad that I did that because I had this experience of working with those kids and making, we made some really good changes in those six weeks. And also more importantly, they just felt good about what they were doing, coming to school and making music. And I learned so much. So, you know, there's, you never say never, of course, but now I feel in my heart, I knew that I was gonna be either playing or teaching at a higher level uh, college. At some point in my life, I didn't know how it was going to fall out.
0: How how did you get connected to North Texas then?
1: Through Harold. Harold and Bob were friends. Harold had sent many students to North Texas. You know a lot of them. uh, Yeah, I've had a lot of them on. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you know, it's just such a, when you know you have a, I was was fortunate to be in a program that had established success for years with Harold because of that i was the benefit of his connections get this i i didn't go to texas to play an audition i sent i sent bob Shatroma a tape and harold talked to him you know and he goes what you, do you do he goes yeah i'll take him so i went as a ta had never you met hadn't even been even been you hadn't been to dentist never been there never met you know it was kind of i did take some auditions uh on the east coast um in person but not many primarily for cost uh, and Texas was a long way away at the time, it, is, it still is. Thanks to Bob, he took me <laughs> into the program, you know, it was a big learning curve, you know, for me, just like it is for anybody that goes to any master's program or doctoral program.
0: Similar question. What was your welcome to Denton? Welcome to Texas in August moment.
1: <laughs> you mean, you mean as a student?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah
1: this is i mean I, I i yes i'm old i get it i get it i didn't used to be but i'm i'm going to be 65 this year and i go to um texas and everybody talks about the heat but you know what virginia and north carolina were really hot and humid yeah. too so it didn't really yeah. seem like that big of a difference and um even back in those days lots of homes didn't have ac uh in north carolina and virginia now everybody does but not not really back then so much I think the things, Pete, is like for any students listening to this, is that you wanna surround yourself with the the best players that you can. You know, If I'm a tennis player, I wanna play somebody that I know is better than I am because I want to strengthen my skills. I wanna beat that person because I know that he's or she's better than I am. And same thing with music. You wanna surround yourself with the best musicians. You don't wanna walk into an atmosphere where you're the number one person player right from the beginning and there's 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 a lack of potential for growth doesn't mean you can't grow in that area but there's just a lack of potential but when you're the lowest guy on the totem pole you have a lot of incentive to work hard and and learn a lot and um i wouldn't say i was the lowest guy on the totem pole when i first came to north texas but i clearly had a lot to learn and i worked super hard to do that you know so, you know, I feel like uh, it was a great community, great, amazing people, uh, students. I was working with people like Ron Brofe, who went off and, to Brigham Young University and created just a whole plethora of percussion community in Utah. And people like Tim Peterman, Gigi Gonzalez. Uh, I mean, just class, class A musicians. And so I learned a lot from my peers, for certain.
0: As yeah. well as, yeah. Yeah. Working with Bob, was there anything similar, different about teaching style or method or what you needed at that point that you learned through him?
1: I learned how to take lessons that I learned about having a different teacher and these different styles. And I didn't understand his style at first, to be honest with you. I would go to the lesson, for example, my first lesson, and I would play and stop Okay. And then I would expect him to say something. Right. Okay. And Bob would like, okay, that's good. Let's go to the next thing. You know, and I'm like, okay. So I'd play the next thing, you know, and, um, and I came out of there after the first two lessons like that. I'm like, so it's not like Harold because I was, I, you know, he's the, my main teacher at that time. Harold had been. So I, I said, so maybe, maybe different people need different kinds of incentives. So next lesson, Pete, I went in. And I had a list of questions about each piece, you know? So now I played the first piece and I'd look at Bob and I'd start reading these questions that I'd written down and he was full of answers. I mean, he had all kinds of information. Yeah. I just had to, to prompt him, you know what mm. I'm saying? Why? Because he was um, in my shoes. I know what it's like. There's like 16 things on your brain that are going on that you have no idea about, you know, what the student right. does. and. Um, I learned that with Bob, I had to prompt him and I got, I just, my cup overflowed. I mean, you know what I'm saying. So so it's just, you're right. Different teachers have different methods, different ways of delivering and different experiences. And um, Bob believed in me. He gave me a lot of um, great opportunities there. I'm thankful for my friendship with him and uh, over the years, no kidding.
0: That's I love that story for many reasons, but one of them is that there is a, a similar, when when I started studying with Court McLaren, there was a, uh, one of the first lessons he's like, so what do you think? And I'm like, what do you mean what do I think? I, like, you're the teacher. He's like, hmm. no, 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 you need to tell me what you think so that I know that you're, he's like, I know what, I know what you did wrong. <laughs> but there was like this, like, oh, oh, I, okay, okay. Sounds like a similar, similar kind of thing once you figured it out. I think
1: you, when you have a master teacher, in my my opinion, master teachers, I mean, maybe there's no great definition of who's a master teacher, but in my opinion, when you have a person that's a master teacher, their goal is not to tell you where to put your pinky, or your left you know, left hand or whatever, or not to say, hey, that's a B flat on the end of three, you know? That's, I mean, that's not their goal. Their goal is to help you find a connection to the music. Your goal is to help you find some expressive method to understand and feel inside because Pete, if we don't feel it inside as a performer, the audience is never going to feel it, you know? Yeah. And a lot of students are really driven by the details. Oh, these are the right notes. These are the right rhythms. These are the right dynamics must be great. You know, well, that's not so great. You know, we need to think about this further. And I think that is something what we're talking about right now. You can't really put into a notebook. You can't really put it into, oh, if you do A, B and C, then you're going to get D. Okay, so you have to live it and you have to have somebody that gives you the kick at the right moment and go what are you doing do you see this you know and um because that is what audiences leave the concert hall smiling about they don't leave the concert hall because you played all the right notes okay they can get their computer to do that they don't do they don't spend money to come to a concert to do that they come to the concert to be moved to be touched to be into this world of imagination and creativity that is not necessarily in their world or To be motivated by that creativity. They don't come there, nobody goes to a concert to hear accuracy. What are you going to do tonight? Oh, I'm going to go hear some accurate music. I don't don't think so. You know, and that's what master teachers understand. And I think that is the key. Because I remember a lesson with Harold, I was playing a timpani piece, playing and he starts to sing, not the pieces, but just singing with this timpani solo to help me guide me to these expressive moments and how to shape the phrase and wow i can still hear him singing in my head and that that that's something that you can take to the next piece and the next piece those experiences you know the the thing about where to put your thumb or you know a technical whatever is is not always applicable to the next piece you know but those uh, expressive ideas will always follow follow through will always be successful i think
0: yeah yeah, I totally agree. At North Texas, did you have an assistantship? Yes. And it was?
1: Same, like it's kind of similar. I taught um, lessons I was only there for three semesters, um, kind of, that's, that's a whole nother story. That's another podcast for you, I think. the, uh, But was, <laughs> I was just there for three semesters and I primarily taught um, snare lessons and, and marimba lessons. And I'm uh, an ensemble. I coached an ensemble one semester. And I think I did a methods class in one of those semesters. I met some great, I mean, some of my students were just fantastic people. You know, we were dear friends. Uh, Chris Crockwell with Roloff. You might know the, Might know Chris. He was, you know, studying marimba with me. Uh, I had other uh, students that have been outstanding high school teachers. They just, you know what I'm saying, you just... You stay in touch with some of them, and some of them leave, and you never hear from them, of course. But that's normal. But um, I was doing—I was learning to be a teacher at that time. When I'm teaching there, I was trying to figure it out.
0: Gotcha. So why were you only there for three semesters?
1: <laughs> well, it's a master's degree, and so as you know, it's only two uh, two years typical for a right. master's degree. In December of my second year there. Uh, I had, uh, someone told me, Hey, Bob Chitone is looking for you. And I'm like, Oh, what did I, you know, wonder what I did, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. And, um, he goes, no, I think that, I think it's a Christmas gig. And I'm like, Oh, okay, great. You know? Yeah. And he came down and he goes, okay. Hey, Mark, he goes, uh, I want you to go to Kentucky. And I'm like, don't they have somebody that can play sleigh bells in Kentucky? I mean, why, why, <laughs> am, I, why am I going to Kentucky for a Christmas gig? And he's like, yeah, yeah. it's not a Christmas gig. It, um, Tim Peterman was teaching at Murray State University, but at that time he had just gotten a tenure track position at Indiana State, but he had to leave in the middle of his contract with Murray and he was an intern, interim uh, teacher. So I went to Murray State and taught uh, for him. Uh, I had no masters. I just went and taught that semester. I auditioned like on the 20th of December. I just had to, if I didn't fall off the stage, I was gonna get that job. you know. It, <laughs> And um learned and met so many dear uh, great people there. And I learned a lot about how to handle teaching. And then came back in the summer, finished my last coursework in the summer, pretty heavy summer course load, and then immediately went to Middle Tennessee because I had gotten that job. So that's why I was only there for three semesters.
0: You you go to Murray State knowing that this is just this yeah. is just for the semester. This is just yeah. basically to get them through the year. Exactly.
1: And it gave me, you know, I mean, yeah, I made a little money, but it also gave me great experience, To, I, I was the one making the decisions, you know. So I got a chance to, like, figure that out. And, uh, and it was a small studio. And I'll tell you a story, because it's a good one. Because I had a studio of about maybe 20 students, maybe 20, you know. And one day, the, one of the guys came in. And he sat down, and he goes, uh, Professor Ford, he goes, I, I wanna to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. He goes, I need to tell you that uh, I'm not into this practicing thing. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I'm much more into music education and the philosophical uh, applications about how we teach. I'm like, really? I said, it's really cool. Uh, okay, I said, but I just, I'm just happy about one thing. And he said, what is that? And I said, I'm really happy that you're not teaching swimming. And he's like, what? I said, because if you were teaching swimming, your students, you wouldn't know how to swim and therefore your students are going to drown. I said, how can you be a music teacher if you can't play music? I don't, I mean, now it doesn't mean you have to be an active performer. I've had some great teachers that don't really play much anymore, you know, that kind of thing. But you, you know, as a young person, so he left the room going to the practice room, of course, you know, so. (laughs) But anyway, that's, that's, um, just one of those examples of things that 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 experience taught me of like how to try to turn something that's negative into a positive
0: was it weird i mean obviously it's not much longer that you're at middle tennessee but were you teaching students who are like almost your age at that point and then yeah. same thing when you're at middle tennessee i was maybe
1: 22 or 23 teaching college yeah you know, <laughs> and I really didn't see my life going that direction, but it just kind of, these things started to happen and I, I ran with it. Yeah, I had, uh, especially in the beginning at Middle Tennessee and definitely at Murray, I, there was one student who might've been 20, 21. I mean, we were almost the same age. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, my musical experience was different than the students. Uh, and so that was what I tried to help him with. I did try to recognize that um, I didn't try to be a, hey, call me Mr. kind of a deal, you know? No, we just try to be cool and trying to like do good, do, do good work, make good music. And same thing happened at Middle. And, um, you know, well, here's another story. First semester, I told them, hey guys, you can call me Mark, it's all good. But when you're speaking to the chair of the music department or other faculty members, you should call me Mr. Ford. I mean, that's the way that should be respect, but between you and me, if you want to, okay. So 10 days go by, and you know one of the the chair calls me and goes why are your students are calling, all calling you mark to me and, you know and i'm like oh man because it was kind of a maybe more conservative than than it needed to be but it, but whatever i but i went into it's a it was the best thing that could happen because i went in and said look i told you you could do this you didn't do it now i'm mr Ford. that's what it is for you you know and boom they just went oh he means what he says and that was it you know so it helped me and it wasn't that big of a of a story, but it was, it just impacted our interactions in a positive way, you know, but, but yeah, I, because I was dealing with students like Eric Johnson is in, you know, a student of mine and we're maybe four or five years apart, you know, it really wasn't that much difference. And of course, we're dear friends uh, and have been for decades. Uh, And there's others too. There's others that were there as well, but the, um, I think they all kind of saw it, you know, we're trying to figure it out, you know, and I was busy. I wanted to make music. I wanted to practice. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to work in Nashville. You know, I wanted to do what I could do to make a living.
0: You, you said something almost in passing just now where you said, I wasn't sure this is where my life was going to go. Well, I, I did. Was there something else on the horizon that you were well,
1: I was going to take any gig I could get? I I didn't, you know, like most college students, I was just busy going to school. I didn't have a professional plan thought Mm -hmm. out in my head. I learned how to do this, Pete, uh, a little bit later. As I mentioned earlier, I would say, hey, I thought if I worked super hard, you know, all through school, somebody would come along and just give me a job, you know, and say, here's your gig or here's your whatever. And that doesn't happen. You've got to go out and put yourself in the position to be able to get those jobs and one of my stories I tell my students because I feel like it's impactful. I took an audition in Nashville, and this organization was hiring a couple of hundred musicians. They had many different organizations that were, and and players from the symphony worked for these guys. You know, I wanted to be in that group. You know, so I went up there and auditioned. I finished the audition. They applauded for me. I'm like, whoa, you know, it's nice. They shook my hand. I'm like, okay, well, I'm I'm like, I'm going to get this job right on. Two weeks later, of course, there's no emails at this time. I get a slip of, uh, you know, a pink slip in the mail going, thanks, but no thanks. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, wow, okay. I thought that went really well, but I didn't get it. And then, I don't know, two months later, um, a dear dear friend of mine, Neil Rutland, uh, was playing for this same organization. And he called me and said, look, I've got to be out of town for a weekend. And I, can you play this show for me? Can you come in and sub? It'd be I was gonna play like five or six shows over the weekend. And um, I'm like, sure. So I learned the book. I actually practiced and learned the book because there was no rehearsals. Just drop the needle and go. And you know how it is. This is a variety show, like a Broadway musical kind of a thing. You there's There's stage cues, there's conductor cues. You know, you have to know where to go. Okay, so I learned it and I I wouldn't say I played it perfectly, but the first one went pretty well, you know, and uh, the piano guy, uh, the piano pianist for the orchestra. This is the I'm playing with a 30 piece orchestra. He comes back to me um, and says, hey, Mark, because you played really well. Would you like to work here regularly? I'm like, yeah, I really would. I I auditioned for you earlier in the year, but you guys didn't take me. He goes, yeah, I remember you. He goes, you want to know why we didn't take you? And I'm like, you know, thinking maybe, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Yeah, Yeah, okay, tell me, you know. And he goes, we didn't take you because we didn't know who you were. And man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Had I taken this guy to a cup of coffee before the audition, just to meet him and talk to him a little bit, I would have had that job, maybe, maybe. But the idea is that here's a fresh face. Music was really good. But, you know, is this guy a jerk? What is the deal? You know, we don't know him. I'm not going to hire somebody I don't know. And that never occurred to me before that moment. I thought if I played well, I should get the job, right? You know, no, that's not the way it worked. So I had to find ways to put myself in positions to be able to be, basically have an opportunities to do other things, other kinds of gigs, other kinds of, of situations.
0: Gotcha. How long were you at Middle Tennessee? Four years. Okay. And listen, I could
1: have stayed a long time, mm-hmm. but I, I moved to East Carolina after that. Harold called me and said he was going to you know retire and wanted me to, to take his job. So I took it. I did it. And we had a great I was there for 12 years. And then I went to, uh, to my current job at North Texas.
0: So he you didn't like he said, apply for the job or he's like, this is yours if you want it.
1: Well, he was um it was going to be uh, an interim position at first because mm-hmm. he was going to direct the wind ensemble for a year interim and then he goes then we'll move you into a tenure training. He didn't promise me anything. He goes but he was like this is what I think is going to happen basically. And uh this story is a little longer too but um I made that move over there and made that shift and uh dedicated um you know, my work to making that studio to be the best it could possibly be. And that's um um there's a lot of great programs, as you know, in North Carolina. And at that time, Harold was by far the the grandfather of the state, you know, in terms of percussion. He and uh, Massey, jo- um, Massey Johnson, great yeah. the NC School of the, arts. the
0: arts. Yeah. W- did you know this was coming like when you were or you he was just like. Um, and you were like, you're never retiring. You're, you yeah. have, you're an institution, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I just kind of came out of the blue one day, called me and said, what do you think? You want to come over? And I was like, you know, um, there's um, if the thing the the, the gigs that were playing in Nashville, I, I played with the symphony some time, a few times, but most of my gigs were uh, dealing with uh, country music, uh, being the percussionist in a country music band. Kind of a thing or playing variety shows some broadway type shows and things and it was a big mix but i would tell you that the music that i was playing while it while it clearly had a lot of um integrity it wasn't necessarily the music that i was dying to play at the time although i did it i did my best you know i wanted to be the best i could be at it you know and you know we would get I, i i really was not a listener of country music at that time and probably still now. Um, so I didn't know the names of these uh, these groups and I would get a call and say, would you be? And I'm like, I, I'm thinking in my head, I don't know their music. I so I'd have to go get a cassette tape, pop it mm-hmm. into the car as I'm driving to the gig so I can start to feel what's happening. Cause these things usually happen pretty quick. Like, hey, can you be here tomorrow or something? You know, it's, you know, not always, yeah. but happen, it happened at that time several times. Yeah.
0: When you start working at ECU as as a professional, are you, one, do you, are you encountering some of the people as teachers that are now colleagues? With, so, and was that at all weird? Were you like, you, hey, doctor, yeah, whatever, yeah. and they're like, my name is Barbara, please yeah. call me Barbara.
1: You know, I think both at, at ECU and at North Texas, that, oh, is, sure, yeah. that situation happened. And, in both cases, everybody was so open and welcoming and uh, just beautiful uh, to me, and accepted me for who I was and not for who I used to be as a mm-hmm. student. And that includes Bob trauma and Harold Jones, too. I mean, they basically said, "Here, go, run. You know, it's your baby. Go do do your thing. You know, You know, there's a saying, Pete, no success without succession. OK? So <clears throat> people that like myself, like you, you know, when we decide to retire, we don't want it to end with us. We want it to get bigger and stronger and better through someone else's eyes, through someone else's um, motivations and and effort. So that's what um, these guys passed on to me and I will pass on to whoever it would be afterwards. And there's something to be said there about that because if if you have a program and it all focuses around one person that's it's only going to have a short lifespan but if there's a if and that's why north texas has survived because the teachers have changed but the concepts have remained the same and the feeling and the the um uh togetherness in terms with the teachers Heaven. that doesn't mean we don't don't disagree from time to time or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But but we really want the best for our students. And at some point, somebody's got to be the person that says, okay, then this is what we'll do, you know. But we have to talk it out as a group.
0: How far along were you at ECU when Christine comes in to the picture? Oh my,
1: yeah. Chris and I, um, well, just to preempt what's, what, why we're talking like this is because Chris passed away in 2021 in October, and uh, which is just almost two years from now, uh, yeah. two years ago, and um, I taught he and I taught together for 30 years. Okay, so I mean, just ridiculous that, and it goes back to like 1991, I think. I was doing a clinic at Elon College where a uh, really fantastic musician Jan Metzger mm-hmm. is I think he's still teaching there and um and he was a colleague of Chris's and uh he was having a small festival and not just me there but he had asked Christopher Dean to give a clinic and some other other people uh, who don't come to mind at the moment but I remember seeing Chris's name on this flyer and I'm like oh I know Etude for a for for quiet hall I know this person through that Music. I, I'd never met him before, you know. And uh, and when we met, he was just, you know, super great individual, humble, and just, you know, just a really giving person. And he said the same thing to me that I said to him, I know you through, you know, A2DO, I know you through Stuber, you know, and that kind of thing, you know. And then um, I gave my clinic, he gave his clinic, he did his tambourine thing. I don't know if you've ever seen Chris do his tambourine clinic, but it is. It was fantastic. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen tambourine clinics like what Chris used to do, and just outstanding. So anyway, we, um, I said, well, this is somebody that I really want to be with. I want to be able to learn more from him, you know? And so I invited him to um, play with, where East Carolina was playing at PASIC the next fall, and I believe 92. I want to say it was in New Orleans that year. But anyway, the I invited him to do it, and of course, In doing so, he came down with several rehearsals, teaching some lessons. And after that, he started to be like a regular adjunct teacher. He'd come in one day a week. He was living over in Wake Forest area and then drive down. And we played in uh, a group we called the Philidor Percussion Quartet or the Philidor Group, which I believe still is is going with um, uh, Wiley and... um, some of the others, I'm not certain who the current members are at the moment, but that's still in, in North Carolina, but we did works by Cage and Harrison and, you know, classic works and then the works that Chris would write or that I would write. Um, and it was really, really fantastic. And so when I got the job at North Carolina, and when I got the job at East, where am I? When I got the job at North Texas, yeah. uh, in the in my very first year, Ron Fink decided to retire And I called Chris, I said, I really think you should apply for this. This would be fantastic. Big change for him because he was playing in the symphony, a regular in the symphony, um, Greensboro Symphony, and also part-time with Raleigh and Charlotte. So, but he came and took the audition and uh, we were, that's how we got together over
0: here. When you're taking over from Harold, were there things that you realized that you're like, okay, If I'm going to make this my program, like, and it's not necessarily that that was bad. It was just like things that worked that you realized were going to work for you. What kinds of things did you kind of notice that you needed to to do on that level? You
1: mean in North Texas? No, no, at at East Carolina. Oh, at East Carolina. There is no way that I could have come in and taught like Harold because I'm not Harold, you know, and I couldn't teach like Bob. I'm not Bob. I had to teach I had to teach with my voice and my experience, which obviously overlapped into both of those guys. The main thing that I tried to do was to treat everyone, of course, with respect, to treat them all uh, and give them the the type of attention that, that I could give them in that time period and to be as honest with them as I possibly could. So, um, you know, if things are are going great, I'm going to say it. If things are not going great, I'm going to go, whoa, this, you're really clearly not doing the kind of work that I want you to do. And you're not, something's not happening. So let's look at why that's not happening, you know. As you know, student motivations are, they vary, you know, from what, what, what might trigger one student to really progress. It doesn't work for the next student. You have to find those ways. And uh, so that's that was that was really something that really wasn't different with from Harold it's just my method maybe was different uh you know i feel like when you go from a y- older teacher to a younger teacher there's always going to be some energy and pos- a positive energy uh if if the foundation is musical integrity and so the music i would program was probably different than what Harold would have programmed but that's kind of why they wanted me to come in the first place you know so same thing with Bob, but Bob's job and Harold's job aren't the same job. I mean, they're really different monsters and in their own right, I'm just using the word monster as a funny word. The, um, at North Texas, it was all about communication and the same thing, integrity and honesty, but you know, it's such a big place. We've got to be able to uh, be able to communicate. And also we have to draw the line, you know, I think in a small program, if a small, if a student doesn't do so well after two or three weeks, you can give them another two or three weeks. We don't have that availability at North Texas. If it doesn't start happening after three weeks, we've got to start thinking, oh, come on, what's going on? Why aren't you working? What's the problem? You know, and try to, try to get to the heart of it. Um, that doesn't mean it still doesn't happen. Of course it happens, it's, it's education. but But the idea is to try to catch those things early enough that we can get people back on track.
0: What led you to decide to move to to take the North Texas job? Did, when you were at ECU, did you think I could be here the rest of my life and it would be fine?
1: Absolutely, and like I said at Middle Tennessee, I could have stayed there as well. I mean, I really love that area, and same thing with East Carolina. But North Texas is a it's a different situation. It's uh, it's, um, it's a high level university. It's the largest college of music in the country. Uh, it's in Texas that has some of the best funding for the arts uh, throughout the state at every level. And I knew that the potential there to build uh, a great program, it was better there than it was where I where I was. Uh, yes. Were they going to pay me some more money? Yes. They were going to pay me some more money. But really, the the opportunities, the potential were much more attractive. Uh, and that's why you know, decided to to take that, take up that opportunity. And uh, I think that's why you move, you know, you, it, numbers or dollars will, you know, whatever, you know, you can move to one country, you know, one city, and they're going to pay you 10% more or 12% more or whatever, you know, but you don't want to move to a place where your, where your musical potential is going to drop. You want to, you want to move to where you have more opportunity and um, being the geographical situation with Greenville, was was part of the element but not really the only one it's just i had been there for 12 years and i had done um good work the the group had played at pasic twice in those uh in those 12 years and my students were doing well and uh i needed i needed to i needed to move up i needed to i needed that challenge
0: yeah i mean i i, I it's like i it's interesting because i mean I, when you you left i think while i was doing my masters at uncg so it's like i remember seeing your group like following UNCG or the one or the other kind of like, as like, it was like a rival, it was like weird rivalry in some ways, even though it was like, we were not in the same like geographic, we were in the same state, yes. But like, I can't imagine that that there would be a lot of, um even recruiting would be even like related in some ways. In yeah, I don't
1: think, I mean, I never experienced Anything negative, uh, you know, competition wise that, I mean, um, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big word. So it yeah. could be interpreted different ways, but I think that students always want to play well when they go to festivals and they want to, uh, that's normal and directors want their groups to play well, you know, and, and then, uh, I know that when court would have his group play, I would learn things, you know, I would go, Oh, okay. I can, And same things with, um, Appalachian State, and uh, uh, many of the others that would come, uh, you know, because these you typically a mix of high schools and colleges, you know, yeah. at the North Carolina Day of Percussion, and I hosted it several times, and Court did as well. I think the biggest thing that we can teach our students is to is to share, is to open and share and accept differences as being healthy, right, yeah. and not to see them see levels of competition. I don't, you know, now... If it is a real competition, which like a DCI situation or a some kind of, which, but that just doesn't happen that often in college work, you know, to yep. be honest. Yeah, it just doesn't come up like that.
0: Um, well, it could be in some ways, it, like I think where that could be the case, and I would think it like North Texas, this would certainly be the case with with like grads, like if there are grad assistants that are like trying out for numerous programs. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would, I imagine, be that could get competitive in a way
1: oh yeah for certain yeah well it's competitive because they want to go to a school let's let's say that it's uh, eastman and um and they have one position open so who's going to get that one position so so it's competitive because you've got maybe the top six players are really outstanding players but there's only one slot maybe or north texas for example you know last year we had one one ta position that's all You know, so we ended up taking three new graduate students, but two of them were came on scholarships and and uh, other types of programs, but not a TA. But everybody wants the TA, you know. And is it competitive? Yes. But it's not a competition in terms of, you know, and it's is it subjective? Absolutely, because there's no set. Uh, There are a few things in the auditions that are the same for everybody to play. But but really, we're listening for musicianship. We're listening for air um, emotional, um, stability, uh, unable to control, to be able to change between instruments, to be focused on great tone production and, uh, phrasing. So, um, these things are inherent in all the music that we would want to hear and play with and work with a student. It doesn't mean it has to be perfect. We just want to, oh, we just see the potential like, oh, this, this person has stronger potential you know that's typically the words that we would say or we really like the way this the phrasing that this person played you know that kind of thing
0: well and fit i would assume too yeah
1: exactly yeah 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 because we've got a team and we're trying to put the same thing like i told you about that organization in nashville you know it's good for the for the people auditioning you to know who you are a little at least a little bit in advance so they can have a better sense of who you are as a person yeah, yeah gotcha that's not always easy, though, but but it's it's easier now than it used to be for certain. Sure, days. a few years ago in 2016 or so, um, Eric Johnson and George Barrett at um, Innovative Percussion they contacted me about they were looking to maybe sell the publications. They wanted to focus uh, mainly on sticks and mallets, and that's their business, obviously. And the reason we started the music publications there was the the what, the what story I told you was the basis of why. Mm-hmm. But in reality, what happened is that people were not only using the sticks and malice, but they would buy a piece of uh, music by, honestly, Christopher Dean, and it says Innovative Percussion on it. So we were associating quality with the name Innovative Percussion, right? Mm-hmm. So we saw it as a marketing tool back in the early days. But at this stage of the game, they it just became something else that they had to do that they weren't, you know, it's just more than one. And I said, no, I don't want you to sell the the music and we have to find a different solution. And it took a couple of years for us to figure this out. But, um, uh, my wife and I, uh, bought those uh, rights to all that music. And we have it now under a company called Musicon publications. And it's, it's just, it's just a wonderful uh, experience. So many uh, great pieces there that we've rebranded, and uh, of course, we're taking new works from new, new composers as well. And the, um, but it's like we're we're still dealing with vendors. Like we're we're selling to major per, uh, percussion vendors that will sell that music just like Innovative did, mm-hmm. and uh, we sell sell it on our webpage too. But ninety five percent of our sales are through vendors. It's just normal. But anyway, it's been a really great uh, adventure since 2018. I wrote a book called uh, Marimba Baby, and um, it was kind of a follow-up to the first book, the uh, Marimba Technique Through Music uh, method book. The first book was a method book. This Marimba Baby was a collection of of songs, collection of lullabies and songs for the marimba, but in the same sense of those etudes in the first book, just a little bit more advanced. And we published that under uh, music on publications that's the first thing we did and now uh and then we when we bought out um innovatives copyrights to all those works we increased our our catalog by 120 some works i mean it's like you know it's just really been a great experience and uh my wife's the boss as she should be for certain she's makes the right decisions but obviously uh i she and i both are walking in the percussion world a lot but Uh, I have a lot of
0: context and connections that help,
1: help make that, make that a success.
0: Now we're going to jump to the random ask questions. Uh, All right. First couple are not random, but first question is, what's an issue in, you can be either percussion education or percussion performance um, or even percussion composition if you want to, but an issue that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts.
1: (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm a fan of all types of percussion music and I've definitely written all different kinds. The, you know, the, the novelty type of things, the cabassas and the coffee breaks, but then writing the concerto and, and works for the marimba, serious works for the marimba. Uh, I'm pretty open to like almost everything, but, but uh, if there's something that drives me nuts, there's a new trend obviously in the last several years of like compositions with electronics, and mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes these pieces are really awesome, very intriguing and engaging, and sometimes not. Uh, and, you know, I feel like, I don't think it drives me nuts, but I'm always thinking, okay, now I wonder, what's the evolution here? Where Where is this going to take us in a really positive way? And I think it's coming. I think this uh, coordination of the arts through visual and audio and acoustic is going to, continue to grow. And it should, I would like for it to. And, but some of these early works have been somewhat static to me sometimes, Yeah, sometimes.
0: Yeah. I gotcha. I, I, I feel the same way in, in a lot of those. So, okay. Next question. And you can kind of go over where you want with this, but um, what are the, some of the ways that you've considered and worked on issues of inclusion, diversity, equity within your teaching and, professional life?
1: Wow. Well, I think, um, you have to live it. You have to believe it and you have to live it. And it's not just in the school. Uh, you know, we, I feel like all of our team at North Texas, we absolutely are open to all of those elements of diversity. Um, whether it be, uh, race, whether it be gender, uh, it, 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 it doesn't it doesn't matter what we're focused on is that student's potential and their music okay and music comes to us in ways that we cannot always predict we can't say we cannot look at a person and go oh you're not going to make it no 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 i've i've seen that i've i've definitely fallen into that trap in my earlier is going oh i don't think the student's gonna do it and then that student turns out to be like like fantastic so I think you have to walk it in your life and not just at school, not, you know, so if if you've got to embrace those, we should all embrace those um, aspects of, of living together with a variety, uh, just knowing and loving the differences as opposed to feeling any other way. And um, that, uh, now listen, Pete, you know that we're not talking about liking uh, a person, you know, we all have people that maybe we don't care to be around that particular person for one reason or another. It's not about that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about open opportunities for all people. And if they walk in the doors at North Texas and they're in the percussion community, I don't care if the skin is green or if the hair is purple or, or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Is that we, we're there for the music. We're there for that student's music. And, um, Uh, And if anything, we have been supportive over and over on all those fronts. Can we do better? I think so. Absolutely. And we should. Uh, I'm not saying that we've been perfect. My goodness knows. But we um, we we are aware of those issues and we try to be positive and progressive about it by addressing it through their music.
0: All right. Uh, We'll get some fun questions here. Has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how do they do it?
1: (laughs) No, I don't. Well, put it this way. They haven't <laughs> shared it with me. Yeah. Um, I remember this is a silly story and it's not an impression, but, you know, there's a time in early. I was doing a clinic at University of Georgia. I was playing a duet, uh, a duet uh, performance there. And I remember walking through the band room and um, these guys really saw us, you know, these, these students saw us and they were like, who's that over there? And he goes, goes, That's the head talk guy. Didn't know my name. But is that the head talk guy? I'm like, okay. I I felt good. I'm like, okay. So, but that's you know, I my students have told me that there are some people that do impressions, but I've never heard them yet. So, I'm I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that for that moment.
0: All right. <laughs> let's let's make it. We need to make it happen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most impractical item of clothing you own?
1: I have some very unusual, uh, islandy looking shirts that, okay. uh, that I won't wear anywhere, but they're still hanging in the, uh, in the closet. Mm-hmm. That's not a really good answer, but that's about as close as I can get.
0: Like did, for, like yeah. steel band gig shirts kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but like long outdated, like, you know, just right. get rid yeah. of those things, you know? Now, I want to confirm that I did a clinic at uh, BYU in, uh, on Oahu. They have, a, they have a campus out there. Darren um, Durenden is the teacher. He's got a great steel band. And at the end, he gave me a Hawaiian shirt. And it's the best Hawaiian shirt I have. It's the only one I'll wear. So nice. it's not, Darren, if you're listening, it's not your shirt. It's these other <laughs>
0: two. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. That's, that's, that's what is your biggest kitchen mess up?
1: Oh man, there's so there's so many to that. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. Well, first off, I'm not a chef. I'm not a cook. I have definitely ruined a few meals. I I don't have that passion. Um, My wife is an amazing cook, and she's creative in the in the in the in the kitchen. And she can see a recipe and get off the recipe and make it even better. And if I get off the recipe, it's gonna really tank. You know. my biggest mess up this is a good question pete because i don't cook a lot so yeah. so it can't go it's not too far down the road oh man i've definitely burnt things on the grill i mean mm-hmm. you know, got busy talking and all of a sudden everything's black and mm-hmm. it's like oh well let's order the pizza <laughs> right yeah
0: now i'm starving this is great i'm gonna
1: make it <laughs> man that's a really great question but i'm sorry i can't come up with a better better answer i'm sure as soon as we hang up and i'm gonna go oh
0: what is a great movie and what is a terrible movie
1: kind of into the classic movies if i'm watching Mm -hmm. something i'll you know i'll kind of lean more toward the the classic version of of things you know these um there's the serious movies there's the mm-hmm. i'm going way back now i mean yeah. like sophie's choice kind of thing the yeah. schindler's list the pianist those kinds of stories about the war and persecution and um uh just terrible you know mm-hmm. stories and then there's movies that just make you laugh like crazy and you know you you love it and one that made me laugh like crazy this we Are the millers does that is that is that do you know this one i do
0: Okay, uh, I, I think so, but I, I haven't seen it. That's
1: a really funny movie. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. The, what's the worst movie? Oh man, lots of bad movies. I usually don't make it through the bad movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. You know. Yeah, yeah. The, um, okay, really bad movie. I hate to even say this because my my students and friends love this movie, but I just, you know, maybe I need to give it a, a better a better shot. But Spinal Tap. I just, oh, you know, I feel like what, you know, I I need to go back and maybe give it another try, but ah, you know, let's just leave it with final tap. Okay. Fair
0: enough. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Gotcha. All right. Uh, then the follow-up here here is what's a favorite book.
1: I read a lot. I try to read a lot when I can. I have a, I'm a, I have a seven year old daughter. So we're, you know, we're, we're busy with her and I'm busy at school and, but I like to have things to read. And um, I just read this new um uh, biography on Lincoln. I don't know if you have checked this out and the author is going to escape me at, at the moment. I may have to look that up and send it to you, but uh, it's fantastic. I mean, I just I'm I had read other things about him. I I tend to like to write about read about biographies or historical documents and uh, the book with John Adams, the uh that uh, the HBO did their. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, fantastic, fantastic mm. book. Um,
0: McCullough,
1: yeah. Yeah, McCullough, exactly. And he's written a whole series, series of books. Now, this this John Meacham.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I've I have not read that, but I've read books by him. By I, Meacham. He's a really I can good tell writer. you
1: right now, that was that was really fantastic. And I didn't, I had that book um for a period of time, and I was like, oh, I don't know, I've read books on Lincoln, I don't want to read it. And finally sat down and it was just like it's really well done. Incredible. So you know that's a great book. I love um, you know. Um, there's stories you know books where there's just a a story. I've been um, reading a lot of Polish literature lately uh, because my wife's Polish, and I'm just trying to understand the culture as best I can through through literature. And some those are all through translations, though. So some are better than others, you know, in terms of in in my my opinion.
0: So what are the big, what are the big name Polish? Well, one then?
1: of the big ones is called Laka and it's it, the translation is the doll. Yeah. It's a reason I'm jumping because he writes it's his last name is Prus, P-R-U-S, but that's a, that's a pen name. It's not his real name. So that's why I just want to make sure I gave you the right one, but it's, it's a, it's an uh, 18th century uh, story of nobility and uh, relationships. And, you know, it's just about culture and it's super long. It's a long book. And, uh, but I, you know, you learn things um, by reading those types of things. I never would have read that had she not told me about it, you know. Um, but then other books, uh, wow, I just kind of jump around. I, I read, you know, first book, like percussion books and things. Um, mm-hmm. Gary Burton's biography, if, if you're listening to this and you've never read Gary's book, then you've got to read this. It's just mm-hmm. fantastic. And, of course, Keiko Abe's book is outstanding as well. She told me a, a year or so ago that she wants to write a new book, which is um, which is really maybe more a more personalized text, mm-hmm. too, which is really interesting. I hope she's able to do that and get that out. The um, yeah, so I think the, the big thing for reading is that... Um, it, for me, as a musician, it just gives me some kind of outlet into something non-musical. I just you know, can dive into different topics, and and things you know, and enjoy.
0: All right, another question: You've traveled to a lot of places, but where is somewhere you have not traveled to that you still want to get to?
1: I I need to tell you that this last year, I mean, the the pandemic is over. The travel, the travel, our traveling in the last year. Now, I I, I travel with my wife and daughter. I sometimes I'll do gigs in the States with with just myself and go, but I just, you know, I just life's too short. I'm like, no, you should come with me. Let's go. And in the last year, we started off in Poland and Croatia. I was working in Croatia, came back to the States, went to Melbourne for six weeks. Mm -hmm. Premiered the concerto there, then went to New Zealand. went from New Zealand to Hawaii where I'm telling you this gig and um, my and my son lives on Maui so we got to visit my son Austin and his wife Sarah back to the states and then um, then to Gdansk to play a concert uh, tour a concert festival in Gdansk, Poland back to the states back to Paris to teach at the Paris Conservatory back to the states then Then uh, we just came back from Hungary and Dublin and um, Slovakia and with a stop through Poland, of course. Man, it's just been—we're just. My wife called it the packing season. We just Mm -hmm. not pack anymore. So the the thing is, is that I think travel is so great for everybody because it gives you a chance to like. We talked. You asked me about diversity before. This is this is putting diversity into action. You know, you're in so many different cultures. And there's so much to learn. It's hard to be, I, I think it would be a, a chore to be discriminative in, in any way, you know, because it's just so much to know. You realize how little you know uh, when you go to different places like this. I think some places that we would like to go, some would be fun places to go, um, not so much for musical. Um, uh, we haven't been in the Bahamas. We've always talked, messed around like, oh, let's go to the Bahamas, but we just have never gone there. You know, musically, uh, I think that um, I love going to Europe because there's so many opportunities to play with different styles of music. Um, we haven't been in Spain in a while or Portugal. I've, I love those countries. And um, we were, we'd love to go um, to back to Japan. And because of the pandemic, Japan was one of the last countries to open up. So we had, I had opportunities to go back, but just now you asked me where we haven't gone. We've been in in japan but where we haven't been here's a good story in march of 2020 march of 2020 i'm uh have a gig in amsterdam at the amsterdam marimba weekend and then flying to saint petersburg in russia never been to russia or amsterdam in this case and i'm so excited to play in both of those places and we had just read a book about amsterdam so we were I was interested to uh, not answer about Saint, Saint Petersburg. We were so interested to go to Saint Petersburg and feel that. So my wife leaves a week before I do to get my daughter, uh, you know, set up with her grandmother's because my wife's going to meet me in Saint Petersburg. Well, but before I left, the pandemic had everything shut down, everything canceled, and so we were stuck. I was stuck in the states, and she was stuck in Poland, couldn't come home. It took us a hundred days. Hundred days to get to get her back, and uh, yeah, it was a real was a long hundred days. That's basically where the concerto came from. I figured after that, if I didn't start doing something, I was going to lose my mind. So I had to had to kind of dig into that. But but we've never been to Russia. I know that's not a place that I really want to go to right now. But there's elements about St. Petersburg that I would just love to be able to experience if there wasn't this politics and this war. And obviously, while this is going on, this is. going to change our lives it's going to change how we how we travel on that region of the world for a long time so probably never going to get to go there unfortunately
0: it's weird because i don't know like it's one of those where if you're not totally aware of the geography of europe you don't like you're like oh you know where's poland or is it nearby and you realize poland is right next to what russia or ukraine or both or
1: ukraine they, they share a border with ukraine they don't share a border with russia but it's super close
0: but and like all the that's where all the the like the first like major swath of of people leaving ukraine to get away from the war oh yeah millions,
1: millions of ukrainians are, are refugees in poland right now and um and it's, you know, it's changing that country. Uh, and I think when this resolves, I think these people are going to, I think they're going to want to go back home. You know, I think that uh, they don't want to be away from their country, um, obviously, but it's just, you know, when bombs are coming down, you've got to go. You've, there's, there's no question. It's a really sad time in our, in our lives. Cause I think we we were fooled that this could never happen again, that one country just couldn't invade, you know, and um. So we're dealing with the political ramifications of. I mean, there's lots of words I could use here, Pete. And I'm, sure. not gonna, I'm not. I'm not going to be. I'm not a politician, but, but obviously, uh, the thought process of invading another country is just. It can't be, it can't happen in our in our times, but it is happening. It's just, this is the first time it's happened in Europe in what, 50, 60 years or whatever. So it's more than that, 70 some years. But, you know, it's it's happening around the world in other areas. And so we, you know, it's just, there's gonna be a long process to, to deal with that. But with us, uh, as soon as this happened, you know, we have uh, concerns for our family. Yeah. in Poland I mean it's literally right there if those russian tanks come over the border it's not just Poland it's NATO now right. everything everything changes you know yeah. and that's you know when i we visited this this military camp this summer you know and we brought this up what are the chances of this happening and they were like they're 100% positive that it's not going to happen because they have they use the word posturing which means Show a force. They are okay. showing their force. come across, and this is what's going to happen, basically, kind of a deal. But obviously, Russia's having their own problems with Ukraine. Goodness. you know, who would have thought? I mean, w- my hat's off to the Ukrainians and their strength and their their um being able to to hold up under such circumstances. and um so, but yeah, it's right, It's right next door. And then when we were in Hungary this summer, I was teaching at a festival in the the production Hungary the Russian border is like a, th- like a hundred kilometers away, you know, and they're, they have the same concerns, you know, it's just, wow. So it can go any direction if we allow it, if we allow it to, you know, and that's what our, that's what our leadership is dealing with, I guess. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Well, we'll switch, switch gears uh, quite a bit from that. Um, just fine. But uh, do you have a sp- this is gonna seem like a really weird tangent. But do you have a sports fandom? Oh yeah.
1: Sports fandom, did you say? Yeah,
0: like a team or oh, man. something like that. I
1: am I am a Green Bay Packer fan. Okay? Why? Okay. Yeah, don't don't no, don't ask
0: that question. He <laughs> <You know. laughs> grew up in Virginia. You I should grew up be in a, Virginia a former and- like you, you—that's like that's like Washington professional football team country. Yes, it is. From. But
1: when I was a boy, Washington at that time, the Redskins yeah. were—they were terrible. I mean, they were just that's really right, bottom of the tank. You know, yeah. And Green Bay was at the top. You yeah. know, and I just—I really just kind of got into it. I follow that team, yeah. and I've been to—I've seen them when they've played in Dallas a couple of times. Uh, I've never been to Lambeau stadium. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I know Aaron Rodgers isn't there anymore, but it, this is, it's about the team. It's not about Aaron or Brett Favre or whatever, you know, the um, funny thing is that I did get to see Aaron Rodgers play his very first game in Dallas stadium when Brett Favre got hurt and they put in um, Aaron Rodgers, and he almost won the game, you yeah. know, for, and everyone was like, who's this guy? And of course I didn't know, who, you know, but anyway that's my that's my team, so I mean I root for a lot of teams on occasion, but that's the team I'll always come to yeah
0: wow that's that's it is it does matter uh like when you grew up because and then you have the season when you were when you were growing up where or was it one or two that Lombardi coached Washington like yeah, right before yeah. he died
1: yep yeah, yeah, that doesn't count we don't think <laughs> you don't you know, we don't no. That didn't really happen, you know. <laughs> you know. It's like it's like Favre and and Rogers playing for the Jets. That's like what? That's no. Yeah. That's like lot. No, we're not going there. You know. So,
0: <laughs> well, the Jets are my team, and I'm. Oh wow! I'm getting, but I'm getting. It's funny. Like I I have people who, in my life who are like so excited, and as a Jets fans, I'm like I'm sorry. Like I can't. I am physically unable. To to mount any excitement about the Jets until they actually do something, yeah. Like we don't have an optimism gene. Well,
1: I mean they they clearly have one of the best quarterbacks that have walked uh, yeah. the stadiums, you know. So that's that's going to be up to their game plan, of course. One person can't win the game, but you know, right. still,
0: he's but he, he's not a he's not a young chicken anymore. It turns out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, was he 38 or something, you know, but yeah. but the um yeah, he can that he can play. Wow. I so, know. Yeah. yeah. So maybe the Jets, who knows, but I hope not, but never know. <laughs> 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 oh, that's
0: hilarious. All right. All right, uh last couple uh strangest, funniest or most bizarre performance moment that involves you.
1: There's this first off Pete, there's like every night has some strange moment sure. probably, you know. Yeah. The, um, the strangest okay well i'll tell you this is a it's more funny than it is strange oh, Perfect. that's what that yeah. works too <laughs> but the um we were gonna kind of, uh i was teaching uh where was i teaching i was teaching in north carolina at the time and uh, bob chitroma put together an alumni band percussion band to play a concert with bob becker at PASIC, and it was in anaheim this year okay so we um we got the, he sent us a book I mean like seriously like 30 charts that we were gonna because we were playing our own concert and we were gonna play with Bob and there was no rehearsal before the convention. We got to get there, have one rehearsal and then play. and these were some some heavy hitters I mean some really fantastic players and um so you know I learned my part and we all we all met in the LA airport and it was about 10 a.m. We all got in. And we got into the rented van to go. Now, the the plan was get to the hotel, sleep. We were going to rehearse with Bob in the morning. Okay. Well, we we got into the van, and I think it was Tony McCutcheon, sorry, Tony, that was driving the van, and we realized after almost two hours that we were driving north and not south. So now... So now we've driven like two hours the wrong way, and uh, you know obviously we didn't have GPS in those days, nice. so we had to turn around, drive back to Long Beach, uh, or Anaheim. I guess we were going to Anaheim. Anyway, we we were like walking zombies in the morning, you know. And we walked in, and Bob and Bob's like, "What's what's what's the problem?" You know. And it's like, "Oh man, we're t-. so we did the rehearsal. We're like, okay, and uh, we did the concert. Now this here comes the crazy part." We did the concert with North Texas. It was like their ensemble. We only played two or three tunes. It was awesome. It was fantastic. The next day, Bob had his had a clinic, and and we were playing on his clinic with him. And I said, "This is great." The clinic the clinic was like a three in the afternoon or something later in the afternoon. I'm going go to go to lunch with my cousin on Santa Monica in Santa Monica. So I get a, a ride out to Santa Monica. We have lunch with my I have lunch with my cousin. He's doing great. He goes, look, I'll just drive you back to the uh, convention center. We get on there and all of a sudden, all those stories of LA traffic become real. The, 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 the traffic just stops. And I'm just watching the clock tick, 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 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you know, and I'm like, holy crap, you know, and now we finally got to the Anaheim Convention Center and it was right at the time when we were supposed to be playing. And my bag is, my mallet bag is in my hotel room. So I've got to get to the hotel room. I'm I'm running through the hotel, get my bag back. I run to the room and I get there like 10 minutes late. And I'm thinking, I'm toast, this is over, you know? And, and Bob's standing outside. He's like, oh, Mark, man, I'm so glad you're here. He's like, um, hey, um, the other session is just ran late. They just let out. So we're gonna, we're setting up now like, oh, thank God. You know, like I made yeah. it and he goes, oh, but there's one thing. And I'm like, what's that? He goes, oh, we're not playing that tune that we rehearsed. I'm like, what? We're not- <laughs> I, I was like, what are we playing? And he goes and he handed me uh, this piece, uh, um, an arrangement, a rag that he had written. And I'm playing Marimba One, of course, you know, and, and I'm like, and I've got literally like three and a half minutes and then read this in front of that crowd. You know, usually that's not my MO. OK, I like to like know the right. piece you know and thank yeah, yeah. Goodness, it wasn't crazy difficult at all but and it went fine but man i'd never forget sitting down with after that piece was over like oh man what an afternoon you know yeah so, you're yeah, probably I'm, like sweating massively oh. like, you're like a dripping like sweating you pull bullets. the mallets <laughs> yeah. i can still feel that moment when the when the ground just fell away from my feet when he went oh we're not going to play that tune we rehearsed i'm like what you know so Things happen. It's all good. It worked out fine. So,
0: yeah, yeah. nice. It's a good story. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Last question, Mark. What one piece of art could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently? This may seem
1: like a little bit of a cop out, but. Because there's so many musical works or works of art or like books or poetry, like you mentioned, your podcast. But I would think that I would my first thing that would be that has impacted me the most this year is is the beauty of nature because we have traveled like to walk in New Zealand and to see these things in firsthand. I just I can't tell you it's just like just like, oh man, we're not in, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. This is like wow. And uh until last week, we were in Dublin and Ireland, and driving around the area is just the, the sense of history combined with the sense of the beauty of these countries just is just like takes your breath away. We, we walked up to one spot. We were in, uh, it looks like Glendalough. That's what it looks like. And I told the taxi driver, we were like, where did you go? And we went to Glendalough. And he's like, Glendalock i 'm like, oh yeah, uh, it doesn't look like the lock to me but yeah went to, and it's basically a um a monastery from the five hundred from five hundred six hundred a d and they in this graveyard that you you couldn't have created in any movie set anywhere, and then these remnants of these uh churches or living quarters that were there amid this nature it was just like breathtaking. You know, I have to. I've got to post some pictures about this, and the um, and then you know, just I feel like the things that have impressed me the most recently have been this in my life right now. It's been the openness of these countries, and and the what's constant and what what changes. You know, is just really fascinating to me, and um, these people have, have um didn't many of them didn't know me at all, like in Melbourne when we were there. I've been in Australia before, a couple of times before, but never for so long. And to to be there and walk that country down there and to share this new music with them that I'm clearly um, you know, I wanted to go well. I wanted to want my concerto to be accepted. And these people are like with open arms. And it's just a, just such a feeling and such a, you know, if you could write that in a book, or if you could write that in a piece of music. That would be my, my goal, you know, that kind of thing. I could name you, I could give you a list of of works that I love. I just, I can't seem to get away from them uh, because they're part of me, you know? But this recent when you said recently, that's when I realized so it's all, it's this. Cause Hawaii, I mean, you think of Hawaii as, as a, a holiday destination, you know, I'll go hang out on the beach Oh my gosh! No, this is like they call it paradise for a reason. I mean, I had no idea. You, we drove around the island, just feeling the place. You know, it's just incredible. Uh, I'm talking about Oahu and then to Maui. You know, but but anyway, I hope that hope that answers your question, or is that a cop out that I cop out on you? Yeah,
0: no, that was great. That's a you. We're, we're inspired. I mean, I, I kind of give the categories to kind of have the person so they have somewhere to kind of grasp or whatever but no that's if if that's what it has been inspirational to you then that that's the right answer
1: yeah i love to travel but i love to i love to be doing something when i travel you know i'm not i don't i'm not the guy that's going to sit on the beach all week i want to i mean i like that for a period of time but i want to be up and moving and and seeing things and um and this was just this year was just completely beyond any expectation of mine and the um and the beauty we, we witnessed in the people, you know, the people especially. Anyway, I feel like that's the best I can give you right now.
0: <laughs> All right, Mark, we are done.
1: Oh, Pete, thank you so much for your time and for putting this together and congratulations on your podcast. It's really outstanding.
0: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for, for you giving your time. I, that was wonderful. <laughs> So, so great to have gotten the chance to chat with Mark for these two episodes. I wish him the best of luck for the year and the rest of his time at UNT and look forward to making a real in-person connection with him very soon. Thanks again, Mark. This week's rave is a stoned cold classic, excuse me, stone cold classic. It is the 1993 film Dazed and Confused, starring Everybody. Literally, I'll get to that in a sec, and written and directed by Richard Linklater, now streaming on Peacock and Amazon. It's not my first time watching this film, but it had been a while. And it really is one of the great rewatchable films because it remains an incredibly entertaining film to watch. First off, there's the cast. Because this is a movie set in high school, and in particular here, the last day of class in 1976 there's a need to have young actors in roles throughout the film. And for many in the cast, this was their first major role, or one of them. And the list that went on to have strong careers after this movie is long. Here's a partial list of those actors. Ben Affleck, Matthew McConaughey, Jason London, Parker Posey, Joey Lauren Adams, Mila Jovovich, Anthony Rapp, Adam Goldberg, Nikki Catt, Rory Cochran, and Cole Hauser. So those are the credited ones. And now for uncredited actors, well, there's a blink and you'll miss it cameo by someone called Girl in Blue Truck. And that person is Renee Zellweger in her first film. I actually missed her on the rewatch and only figured out it was her in two scenes that showed up on YouTube. Those appearances were that quick. In any case, what makes this movie is both the reality that is portrayed at this particular time in 1970s culture, mixed in with some insane things, and the interactions and lines that appear throughout the film. The dialogue is truly incredible and feels very realistic to the times, and the fact that so many of the folks in this film went on to significant careers calls to mind other high school movies with large casts before it notably films like American Graffiti from 1973 and Fast Times at Ridgemont High from 1982. Time will tell if another film I am a huge fan of from the same style, which is 2019's Booksmart, a film I have talked about in this place in previous podcasts, will have the same amount of success for its relatively unknown cast. I will make a further sub-recommendation on this which is to follow up watching this movie with the podcast, the rewatchables hosted by Bill Simmons, where he and his crew discuss the movie at length, which is available on Spotify for now. This is just a super fun film that is wild and hilarious and honestly worth a regular rewatch. So check out hopefully again, dazed and confused. All right. All right. All right. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at PeteZambito or by email at Pete's at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.